Coming up on the show, a look at the impact of all those bad dates. Let's go back in time in our time-traveling disaster machine. They leave a mark. And when you find yourself reliving a familiar step, like when he doesn't text back, it's hard not to freak out. It means like scanning your imagination for everything that you could have possibly said wrong on the date. Anything that you could have, like, did you have spinach in your teeth? Did you make fun of his mother? We call it PTDD, post-traumatic dating disorder. As an adult, dating-wise has told you and has prepared you for this idea that you are disposable, that you are something that a man can just pick up and play with and drop when he's not interested in you anymore. Don't drop us. This is Why Why. I'm Andrea Salenzi. I have a treat for you guys today on the show, a very podcasty chat with my friend Hollywood. We'll discuss what we can learn from the scars of past dating experiences. Joining me from California over Skype is YOY's dating shaman, Hollywood. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrea. <laughs> we had to do this early because you have a date tonight. Oh, I have a date tonight. I am. I have a blind date tonight. Oh, those are, are those the worst or are those the best? I don't know. I mean, this is truly a blind date, like truly as blind as you can get. Like, I have no idea what this guy looks like. I have no idea what he sounds like. I have no idea what he does. Um, it's through the dating ring and I, I buttoned up the hatches or whatever. That's probably not the right metaphor. I I actually don't know what hatches are for, but, um, (laughs) I said, all right, you know what? I've tried enough things that like, what's one more thing, right? So I am going on a blind date tonight. Well, I know something you're going to be bringing with you tonight. And that's something we've been talking about a lot, which is PTDD. (laughs) What's PTDD? So PTDD is a is a term that you and I came up with, post-traumatic dating disorder, right? And and what I mean by this is Andrea and I are really friends in real life, and so when we text each other, sometimes we, we have we have abbreviations for stuff, and, and PDDD is the term that we use to describe the aftermath of a first date when you actually like the guy, but he hasn't texted you back yet. And he hasn't asked you out on the second date yet. And you're just seriously sitting there like brewing in anxiety. And why I think like a PTSD parallel really applies is like the reason why you're full of anxiety has nothing to do with him and everything to do with your past experiences. Exactly. And it's almost like he's irrelevant. It's just that he's triggering in you all these pre-existing anxieties that come from having a history of dating at this point where guys have flaked on you or guys have not texted you within a couple of days and you are naive and thought that was like cute and he was playing games until you got into your late 20s and realized he's just really like a mess and and can't like keep his date straight and like days just bleed by and he forgot he hasn't talked to you in six weeks like how does that happen how does that happen (laughs) It's like, oh, I just got really busy. What? You got so busy you just forgot about me for two months? Is it just a girl thing, do you think? Or, you know, I had a friend who recently met a girl online. They had a great exchange that he thought was a date. And then he experienced pretty intense PTDD. He did. 
Yeah, he did. I advised him taking PTDD into account where I said, you need to text her right away, letting her know you had fun and asking when she wants to get together again. And then a lot of people have come to me since to say that was the wrong advice and it probably scared her away because a guy's supposed to wait some certain amount of time. What? No, that's that. If you scared her away because you texted her saying you had a great time and you liked her, she didn't like you. Like it wasn't going to work if you waited two days. Agreed. <laughs> I totally agree. Like, don't blame it on that. Like, let's, if you, like, it, don't blame it on that. Like, if I go out with a guy and I don't want to hear from him again, it's not going to make any bit of difference if he waits 24 hours to text me or not. Like, I'm going to get that text the next day and be like, eh, and delete it. Well, okay, so then, so, like, give me the anatomy of that, that experience of what it's like to sit there waiting for the text to come. Right. Let's go back in time in our time-traveling disaster machine. So I went out with this guy who I had been chatting with probably for, you know, a while. How long, Holly? Do we have to admit that it was months? Do we? Do we? (laughs) Sometimes that happens these days. Like you meet someone online and it's hard to get together or... They live in another city. Yeah, maybe they're like across the country. (laughs) Maybe they live... And the date takes months to happen and there's a lot of buildup. I don't think that's a rare experience. I keep telling people I'm post-shame, but I guess I'm not. I'm post shame. <laughs> um, I try to tell people is that like dating is just so incredibly very like variant in its experiences. I feel like I haven't even come close to experiencing all of what it has to hold for me. What's in store for me dating? So I mean, I shouldn't feel shame about this. I mean, people have you, you and I both know people have stories that are way more like crazy and more far fetched than talking to somebody for a few months before you meet. Anyway. Yeah. And if anything, that gives us insight into, you know, like, maybe that was a more comfortable relationship for you to, to be whoever you wanted the other person to be in your head instead of the reality of who you guys are. Right. You can't know it all over text anymore. Oh, um, yeah. Anyway, so I went out with him and I took him to one of my favorite spots in San Francisco, which is a dog park. That's also a beach, which means the dogs can go in the water and out of the water. And it's awesome. And anyway, so I thought the date went well. Um, You know, I felt very comfortable with him because we had talked so much before. And usually on first dates, I don't feel comfortable at all. And the reason for that is you have to imagine that, like, studying dating has, it makes you really uncomfortable with the whole process because you're just so aware of how many ways it can go wrong about what's actually being exchanged, like what's being studied, what's being assessed. You just constantly, my mind doesn't stop. And so dating for me is just super uncomfortable and my psychology at this point doesn't map well onto it. And anyway, so I met this guy I've been talking to for a while. I was like, I was really, I was really happy to meet him. Like, at least I felt that we had a friendship going and that the date itself was sort of a continuation of this long friendship that we'd started where we were texting, we were texting back like every single day, just funny things, just like how our days went, stuff like that. So I just felt like, okay, at at the very least I have, I have this friendship with this guy who just moved to San Francisco. And that's awesome. Like at the very least, if not like the start of something else. Right. So that's how I felt at the end of the date. And so this is a guy who um, used to apologize during our chatting relationship, so to speak, for like not responding to a text within two hours. Like, oh, sorry, it was really busy. Or I'm about to go into a movie, like talk to you later. Like this is a guy who was like super 
polite about texting. And also, I feel like you guys had a connection going into it, you know, where you'd, you'd bonded over how you feel about um, your family, over your sense of humor, over your cultural interests. Like, there, there was something that you guys had connected on where it felt like yeah. you weren't total strangers anymore. Yeah, I mean, and then he also listened to, you know, obviously our, my now epic episode of the of show where I, I go into how dating is really difficult for me and how and why. And, and and why I I see what I see what's going on and why why dating is really problematic for somebody who's really thoughtful about it and who's really thoughtful about love why dating and the disposability of dating are are both really painful experiences for me and so you know I didn't go into this lightly I don't go into dating lightly I really don't like if I agree to go out on a date with somebody it means that I really think highly of them and the other thing about you is I think you're looking for someone to fall in love with like you're not looking for a casual sex you're not looking for dates on thursdays you are looking for like a big intense love and that's something that none of my friends know how to talk about anymore yeah um i think that's fair i think that's really fair like i don't take love lightly and so i'm not looking for anything less than somebody that i think i can fall completely in love with and i don't mean in that sort of like limbic collapse kind of love where oh my god i can't live without you but I'm looking for a partner. I really am. And I'm really serious about that. Uh, my intent with dating is not to hurt guys because I'm bored on a Thursday night and want to go out. Like that's, I, I, I can read a book, you know, there, there are things I can do to ent entertain myself besides using men. So what happened with, um, with this guy from the summer? Yeah. So anyway, we went on a date. Um, I was really nervous. I know I said I was comfortable, but that was a complete lie. I was really nervous because there's a lot of buildup after a couple of months of talking to somebody. He made me laugh a lot. He did. He made me laugh a lot, which is hard because a lot of guys think they're comedians. But when you actually date a female comedian, you don't realize how unfunny you are. And so he made me laugh. Um, he had a great Kermit the Frog impression. Totally did me in because my, my thing is Kermit the Frog. Uh, he's my spirit animal. He is my Patronus. <laughs> so you know he the fact that he could do a kermit the frog impression really did it anyway so the, you know it lasted a while lasted a few hours and i got home and the first person i talked to is andrea right so andrea's like oh just tell him you like him tell him you like him I'm like okay <laughs> i'm all about did... yeah i just say like put it out there maybe it's bad advice though i never know yeah and so i said i had a great time uh or something like that Anyway, the point is, the point is that, like, he did not get back to me for, like, 24 hours or at least something like that. And here I am 24 hours after this date uh, with this guy who I probably haven't gone six hours without texting for the last six months. Just, like, totally, like, oh, I'm sorry, really busy. Suddenly, after our first date, got too busy to text me back, right? Ugh. And then, and then I, what did I say? I said, harden your heart now. Yeah, you're like, harden. It's time to harden your heart. Because that's like just bad behavior. He's just already unworthy. In right. My, in my point of view. If he's it, sending you a signal of some kind. Exactly. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about those 24 hours. Like, if anything, he like shot himself in the foot. And it wasn't anything that he did specifically. It has everything to do with our dating history. Like, and, and what I mean by dating history, I mean literally Andrea and mine, our collective dating history. 
like together. Like we put our heads together and we're like, what does this mean when a guy does not text you back immediately after the first date? Well, it means that you're not good enough. Right. It's like, it means, no. it means like, it means like scanning your imagination for everything that you could have possibly said wrong on the date. Anything that you could have, like, did you have spinach in your teeth? Did you make fun of his mother? Like, did you say something racist? Like, like just all these crazy things that run through your mind. And then the most basic things too. Like, what did I look fat that day? Like, was my outfit not cute enough? does is there another girl like just the most basic stuff goes through my head too and then also the excuses for him maybe he thought that things were so good he doesn't need to message me because it should be obvious or maybe he has just a lot going on right now (laughs) maybe his phone died maybe he's in the middle of a transition maybe something came up in his family life like I go through every possible excuse for him And leave them all as like lingering possibilities, even though the most obvious thing is probably that he doesn't like me. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the Occam's razor answer to this all is like, oh, I guess he doesn't like me. Okay, so it doesn't really matter at this point in 24 hours when he texts back. It's like, oh, I got busy. I'm sorry. At this point, it doesn't matter because I just spent the last 24 hours coming to the conclusion that you don't like me. So, like, it doesn't matter if you really like me. Because he just emotionally drained you. Like, he he took all of the reserves you had of confidence and just dr- sucked you dry, basically, in those 24 hours is how I feel. Right. And so we had to give a name to this because it's, it's something we experience over and over again. And it's just – and it's so patterned and we see it in women all the time. It's the, And it's, we do it to ourselves, right? has n- almost nothing to do with the guy except the fact that he doesn't call back or text back after the date just to like calm like if what would solve this right what would make us feel better if we got a text back within maybe an hour of the date because we know we know from our history that when a date goes super awesome and it leads to something right he texts you back immediately after the date he almost texts you before you get to the subway stop yeah and also we know from our history that like when some, when you had those feelings of doubt in the past that you've gone back and said, oh, that was my warning sign. So it's like I've I've had situations where maybe he wasn't. Yeah, where he didn't text when I thought he was supposed to text or where he kind of disregarded my feelings. And then I look back and I go, oh, I should have broke up with him right then because that told me everything I needed to know. So we have these we have these clues from past dating experiences that we're applying to this also. Right. I mean, we're just reading into everything that your inaction gets interpreted as much as your action in this situation. So, you know, it's it's you know, and it's traumatic. It feels awful. You know, we could distract ourselves and, you know, go out with our friends. And but we're still going to spend this whole time thinking like, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? Is he out with another girl right now? Is he seeing someone else? Like, what's going on? Why hasn't he texted me back? Should I send a second text? Maybe he didn't get my first text. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Holly. He totally got your first text. What are you talking about? Like, oh, I know. I'll text Andrea. Andrea will give me some hair-brained advice. Um, um, you know, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm a relatively, you know, put-together person, and I'm freaking out because he was actually the first guy that I dated in a really long time. Were you, Remember? Yeah, and, and the first one who you'd wanted another date with, you know, like you – like you said, I would like to get to know him better. So your verdict at the end of that date was, when is date number two? 
Yeah, like I was coming out of that first date being, you know, and it was my first date in a while. Like I had taken a long time off of dating. Um, I felt like I wasn't ready for dating until, and I talked to this guy for a really long time. And, uh, you know, it, I put my heart out there in the sense of like, I maybe I wasn't even ready yet, but I put my heart out there. I And so basically what happened was it within 24 hours of dating the guy, all of these really negative feelings that I've had in past dating experiences just came back to me. Just all these doubts and anxieties that I've had about myself that come from dating just came back to me like in a flash. And so it like almost undid all the work that I was trying to do to get ready for dating again during the time that I took off from dating. And so for me to go out on this date and then have basically, and then what happened, I mean, the end of the story is that he disappeared. Like, he just stopped responding to texts. Like, he said the next day, oh, no, of course I want to go out with you again. Remember? He said, like, yeah, I want to go out with you again. Um, but at that point, the anxiety had already set in. And now I was just wondering if he was going out with me because he was, like, he didn't have anything better to do or he just thought maybe I was easy or I don't know. There were just so many things that could have been going on in my head at that time where I was just like, are you really want to go out with me? Are you sure you want to go out with me? Oh, my God. Is this really, like, is he what's going on? And now I'm starting to think he's playing games or I don't remember. And then he just ends up disappearing altogether. So basically, I mean, our point was proven that he probably wasn't that into me to begin with because I can't imagine. Anyway, the point is, yeah, he, but he, he told you everything he needed. You needed to know by not texting you back that day. <laughs> that had all the information you needed in that one moment. And like, you still persisted and gave him a chance, but will you, will you be able to open your heart to someone else who doesn't do that for you in the future? Probably not. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, that's a really good um, summary of what happened. I mean, effectively it went back and reprove to reprove what we keep telling each other. Like if he doesn't text you back, like excited and elated after the first date within maybe like an hour or text to make sure you got home safe. Which I find really funny that guys only text you if you see if you got home late if they like you, like because <laughs> like, if you know if they don't like you, I hope you get hit by a bus on the way home. Um, but anyway, like yeah, like we know that that's basically the now accepted signal of actually I'm really into you. I'm really glad I met you. That's the signal to make sure you got home safe, which is just so weird. But really, that is, and 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 when you don't get it. When you don't get that message, it's sort of a clear indication that you might be, for him, a back burner. Like, oh, she was fine. I mean, I'm not really into her, but like, whatever. Maybe I'll go out with her again. And and I don't want that. I really don't. And I and you and I both tell women all the time, like, you don't want that. You don't want a guy who um, is ever going to make you feel like you're a second option. And you never want to feel like that you are a back burner in his life. I mean, with the exception of some guy who's curing cancer and he like spends 18 hours a day in a lab, you can feel like a back burner to that guy. Really. But yeah. most of the, but these I guys, think, like, were... as we push through the social awkwardness of dating, you know, with with my current boyfriend, like he was so good at seeing that anxiety in my face at the end of every date. 
I feel like I've gotten this before where it's like, just so you know, I'm going to have a crazy week at work, but I'll text you on Saturday and we can make some plans. Or like, I'm not going to be available at this point in time, but eventually I will be. And I think I've gotten those disclaimers from guys who can tell how anxious I am because they've probably hurt girls in the same way before or been hurt by girls in the same way before. So I feel like we all kind of know what this means now. Right. Like you can't claim naivete, right? Like you can't, you can't just claim like, I have no idea what this effect is going to have on a person. Like you do. And, and I think I went out with a guy maybe a month ago. He didn't, he thought after the second date that we weren't really clicking. And I asked him if I did anything wrong. Cause you know, PDDD. And um, he's like, no, I mean, I've, I've totally been where you are before. Like, you're a great person. I really think that you're awesome. I, I just don't feel like we're clicking and I don't want you to feel like there's something wrong with you. I really don't because I think you're an awesome person. And like, he really tried to take some time to do exactly what, you know, your boyfriend does, which is even when he didn't want to see me anymore, recognize that this is the harm that we do to each other that this is now pretty systematically experienced across the board because of how often we're thrown into situations like this. And that kind of empathy is just so important. I feel like I recovered from that situation quickly and without the kind of pain that came from the disappearing act, even though I probably liked, and I, I really liked the, the guy that I was, I was seeing more the new guy I thought that there was a lot of connection there, but I was wrong. But I, you know, I felt less hurt by the way that he broke things off than the way that the guy over the summer did. What are the effects on someone when they are the recipient of that disappearing act? Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's how it goes. So Eva Alouz, I've talked about her before when we did that Sense and Sensibility episode. Eva Alouz talks about how modern dating is all about ontological anxiety, right? This idea that when you're in the dating market, what is largely being assessed and judged and criticized and evaluated is your whole self. Everything that you are as a person is basically being put up for display and someone needs to decide yes or no, right? It's like Tinder, but for everything. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's swiping on my financial responsibility. He's swiping on... <laughs> my style he's swiping on my like effectiveness at my job he's swiping on my dog he's swiping on my cleanliness he's swiping on my smell like everything about you yes everything everything about you your potential your human potential he is swiping on your spiritual like growth he is swiping on right like you have to really think about it dating dating is experienced like that and a lot of a lot of women and men kind of try to to reduce the anxiety by reducing it down to one of two things, right? Like for men, they think, oh, it's my career she's swiping left or right on. And women, it's my looks he's, right, he's swiping right or left on. Um, and, and that's, it's erroneous in the sense of like, no, actually when you're dating someone, you're literally swiping on right on everything, on absolutely everything about you as a person and everything you could potentially be and everything you've ever been, right? It's a really big decision to want to date somebody. And, and, and so effectively what is asked on a date is, do you swipe on my entire person? What, which way are you swiping about everything about me? And, and when you disappear like that, when you disappear like that, um, 
It leaves you in a lurch of questioning and taking inventory of everything you think you are as a person, everything you could potentially be as a person, and figuring out what did he swipe left on? <laughs> like, what individual thing about me did he swipe left on? Because he didn't tell you. And he didn't, and he didn't even think that you were worthy enough as a person to say goodbye <laughs> and, and like explain himself. Like he didn't think you were worthy of that respect to say goodbye. And I know, I know there are people out there be like, well, girls do this to men all the time. Yeah. Okay. But not after like six months of talking multiple times a day. Also, <laughs> like, sometimes when women do it, it's because we are afraid of hearing something assholeish back. Like we're afraid of being bullied for saying no. And I think you like you are so eloquent in talking about the power dynamics that exist in dating. Why would a woman sometimes not send that message? Have you seen a have you seen a by Felipe? No. <laughs> by Felipe. You know that article in the Atlantic that I was I was quoted in the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they were talking about this website called By Felipe, which is great. And one of the ones most recent one was like this woman wrote, I was thinking about this all night and I just don't think we're a great match. And I really hope you have a good luck out there. And then the guy responds, well, I don't date, we wouldn't be a good match anyway. Cause I don't date fat girls. Like, <laughs> like yeah. have fun. Like, I hope you suck on a D and die or whatever. It was something like that, something crude and disgusting like that. And that was the response that he texted back to her, right? When she said, I don't think I'm feeling anything, which, yes, goes back to this whole fear of um, retaliation, right? Like this fear of retaliation that guys will enact on us if we reject them. That's definitely real. I've never responded to a guy um, breaking things off with me with that kind of, well, I wouldn't date you either, you stupid head. Like, I, but like, I I've done. No, I don't know any woman who would do that. So as a rule for our listeners, would you say if he doesn't text you back within 24 hours, it's not going to be a thing? Yeah, as a general rule, yeah. Yeah. If he or she doesn't text you back within 24 hours, it's time to harden your heart and anticipate that this is not going to be a thing. Yeah, I mean, I Unless read... there was a disclosure that said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to my grandma's for the weekend and I won't be able to look at my phone without feeling like an asshole or something like that. I don't know. Make it Unless he gives you a reason why you won't be hearing from him, you should expect the worst. Dude, even if you get a reason, I, I mean... What I mean by that is like, yes, I've read all these guides and all these books. I've read so many stupid dating books at this point. But like I've read all these books that say, well, guys don't operate like women do. I'm like, ah, that's not true. Guys are as equally addicted to phones as we are. Like, I, if not more. And so like that's going on. But two, like, yeah, even if it's it gives their you porn excuse, distribution system. Like, why would they not look at it at some point in the next 24 hours? It's where the naked women are. But... There's that. But like, even if he was at his grandmother's, right? Like how many times have you and I have like been at the beginning of a fling where a guy would like sneak off to call you at a party, like at his best friend's bachelor party or something, because he just met you and he just can't get enough of you. Yeah. And that's like the most <laughs> wonderful thing. I know. That's the thing that like we're looking for. So don't tell me you're not going to call me in 24 hours. I'm like, well, you're basically telling me I'm not good. I'm not like, yeah, it still sets off PDDD. Like, I'm not good enough for you to call me and try to sneak off into the bathroom to text me at your grandmother's house. What am I, chop liver? Um, Ugh. So I have this boyfriend now, right? So I made it through those 24 hours. We texted. I've made it through my weird PTDD moments. And now I'm encountering a whole new kind of PTDD, which is like an inability to be 
honest about liking him and vulnerable in that because of my ontological insecurity, which is like, let's say I do like, let's say I open up more and then this falls apart. It still feels like a verdict on my value. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so dangerous. Does this ever go away? Can you ever feel safe? Yeah, I think you can. But the problem is, is that our society sort of builds it up that like the old, the ultimate arbiter of your worth is a man committing to you. And if he takes away his commitment, if he says, I don't want to commit to you anymore, that that's somehow an indication that you're not a worthy person and that you are not worthy of love and that you're not a lovable person. And that's a really dangerous um, conflation. I think it's really dangerous conflation. And I think women fall into it all the time. But the truth is that, you know, two people don't necessarily have to fit together for them both to be inherently worthy and inherently lovable and inherently great people who could be wonderful friends for one another and who can continue to have a wonderful intimacy with one another um, and not have a, a long-term committed relationship with one another. But that's the problem is that we, we live in a society where you're not supposed to be able to do that. You're only supposed to have one love and they're supposed to be so fulfilling and they're supposed to fill all your needs and they're supposed to validate all your, you know, little idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies. You know, there's this idea that just that this person needs to be everything to you. They need to swipe right on everything you are. And that's not true. I mean, in the best relationships that I've ever seen, people still reject pieces of the other person. It's just kind of how we operate. You know, maybe my spouse doesn't read enough. Maybe I wish they read more, but that doesn't change the fact that I love them, right? And that's just sort yeah, of Yeah, like how... I recently heard Dan Savage talking about how his husband, Terry, he doesn't understand how many shoes he owns and how much shopping he does, but they still, like, have a really healthy, happy relationship. Like, he wasn't going to look at that and say, oh, impossible, this isn't going to happen. Right, but that's sort of what we do when we get rejected or we fear rejection. We fear that they're going to find something about us and swipe left. That's usually not how breakups work. I mean, there's a whole book on the subject. If you're really interested in how breakups work, um, Diana Vaughn wrote, she's a sociologist. She wrote a book called uh, Uncoupling, I think. And it was, you know, it's basically about the sociology of breaking up. You know, it's never like one thing that causes a breakup because it, it, it's never one thing that causes you to get in a relationship with somebody. It's a lot of times it's a reflection of incompatibility, like holistically. But because we don't think like that, because we don't really I mean, especially in this market based environment where we've taught we have to constantly be upgrading and and maximizing on all variables. Uh, love is a lot more holistic than that. And so, you know, one of the things we fall into, this trap we fall into is this idea that like when he, when he walks out of my life, when he ultimately rejects me, it's going to be because I'm not thin enough or it's because I'm not pretty enough or because he found a prettier person. That's maybe true for really shallow baby men. <laughs> like that might be true for them. They might walk out on you because they found a prettier person. But if someone committed to you and was sharing with you this kind of interdependent intimacy that really can only be created in a commitment, if they decide to like break off the commitment with you, they decide it's just not working. It's going to be because of compatibility. Like they've been trying for a while to make it work and they're struggling and they can't struggle anymore. 
And that's what I've kind of realized about how breakups happen. And it's never one thing, but we always fear it's going to be one thing. It's somehow a reflection on our worth and our and what we're worth. And let's be honest, there's all kinds of things that make us unlivable to be with. Like, there's all kinds of things. Like, I cannot seem to keep my clothes off the floor. Like, like, and that's just one thing, right? Like, like I can name hundreds, and I can name hundreds of things that made my past boyfriends unlivable, like unbearable. But that, you know, um, I would have committed. You know, I would have stayed with them despite those things. But, you know, I can imagine that there's things about me. And I was just I was reflecting on this today is that, you know, I have serious um, history with depression, like serious clinical depression. And that makes you unbearable to live with. It does. It really does. Admittedly, it makes you really difficult to live with. And if you're not ready to handle that, if you're not emotionally at a place where you can handle your partner being depressed, um, I can see why you would leave me. I can, and I can rationalize that at this point. At 29, I can. When it happened at 23, not so much. <laughs> like, um, but you know, you know, I've moved on, and, and and so I can recognize that it wasn't a reflection on me as a person. Um, it didn't mean he was a bad person. It didn't mean I was a bad person. It meant that he was not in a place in his life where he could handle that. And it probably set in motion a bunch of other things. Like he just recognized that I was a really intense person. I was a very intellectually intense person. Um, and he, I think he was threatened by that. And I don't mean like threatened in feeling like he was stupid. He was never stupid, but I think it just made him realize that my lifestyle where I read constantly and I like reading and my leisure is reading and studying and writing. And um, that wasn't what he wanted. And he felt like he was not going to be able to build a life with me. And he recognized that. So there was a bunch of things that were just building on each other. And it's not a reflection of me being bad. And it's certainly not a reflection of you being bad. But that he recognized that there was compatibility issues there. And, you know, he finally realized that. I mean, even with my last guy, the last guy I was just talking about, like, he he's, you know, he's older than I am. I trust that if he saw there were some incompatibility issues there, I trust that he might know what he's talking about. Like I didn't question him or wheedle another date out of him or like, I really just said, you know what, you know yourself really well and I'm not going to question that. So I appreciate that you recognize that and you told it to me in a thoughtful way. You know, it has nothing to do with me. And I have, to, and you have to recognize that too, is that like, it, it's, I still go into every weekend feeling like, I don't know, like, if I don't have something interesting to say, if like the sex isn't the most amazing we've ever had, like if I don't have a pretty new dress to wear, if I feel like I ate badly this week or didn't get enough exercise, like I worry going into the weekend that this will be the one where like I won't be at my best and then that'll mean that it's over. And I was kind of forced to talk about that with him recently. And through that process, it's like, realizing how rude that is to him to assume that that he would just like pick an arbitrary thing about me that just shows I should know him better than to think that he's capable of that or like so shallow it's almost kind of the way I'm bringing my PTDD in here is is rude but it feels like I didn't realize that being in a relationship would be so much harder than not caring about the other person I thought that this would be easier somehow because I would have this wonderful, cherished commitment from a man. 
But no, no, no. I mean, now you have a wonderful, cherished commitment from a man, but you also have a biography where you've had a dating history, where you've had a dating career. And in our, and let's admit it, in our in women's early dating years, like in the years before, like right after college to your mid to late twenties, men do pack up their bags and leave because of really dumb, like crap, like that. They really do. Like, because they're not really that into the idea of commitment to begin with. So they like, once one thing happens that like is kind of off putting, like, let's say you have PMS <laughs> or you show up for like a fourth date without makeup on or not having flat ironed your hair or something like that. And they're like maybe half assing commitment as it is. Like, <laughs> they're going to walk out on you. So, yes, I mean, everything that you've done as an adult dating wise has told you and has prepared you for this idea that you are disposable, that you are something that a man can just pick up and play with and drop when he's not interested in you anymore, because that's the culture that men seem to like feel entitled to until the adult switch goes off. I mean, I, I'm sorry to reference myself, but that seems to be par for the course in a lot of women's dating history that they were disposed for seemingly really trivial reasons, or if they were given any reason at all, it was something that was like gut wrenchingly dumb. Like, um, Oh, well, my ex is back in town or like, like just things like that that made you realize that he wasn't in it to win it anyway. <laughs> like was it, like retrospectively, he he'll say something like, I'm just not ready for dating. I'm not over my ex. I'm like, then why did you date me for six months? Like, like that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Like, like, like they, or it's stuff that we just totally, all the red flags that let us keep dating the guy, we just kept ignoring because nobody had a, a dating shaman to tell them that this is a pattern and that that's like, you'll experience this a lot in your young adult years that, you know, guys just don't care that much about committing and don't, they don't value commitment and relationships the same way. And. And that's how like, I end up treating him. I end up treating him like like I like this relationship is a burden that I forced upon him. Like I I reference this all the time. Like, don't you wish you were single so you could do X, Y, or Z? Or like, if only you were single, then this could happen for you. Like, I feel like I'm constantly apologizing for burdening him with the with my desire for a relationship, which is also incredibly rude because he wanted it also. Like we both wanted this and we both went into it, but I still treat him like this is me having a cat that like pees on everything and it's my desire to have a relationship. No, you know what it is? It's just like you're constantly testing him. You're constantly saying, you know, if I give you an out, will you take it? If yes. I give you an out, will you take it? And, and he always has the right answer. But one of these days, he's not going to have the right answer. And it'll finally play into exactly what I want to hear, which is that he doesn't want this. Or really being the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The really self-fulfilling prophecy would be, I'm sick and tired of you testing me and giving me an out. And I'm finally taking it because I'm sick and tired of being tested. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the only the testing is unbelievable. And I hear it come out of my mouth. I'm always like proposing future girlfriends to him or like future experiences that he would have once I'm gone. And and a way that forces him to like, look at me like, why are why are we doing this right now? Are you trying to catch me in a trap? Like, yeah, yes, 
Yes, I am. Yes, I absolutely am. (laughs) This is the other thing I'm doing wrong. It's like I assume that he's just into this for sex and I forget that it could be a thing where we both have feelings at stake and then I end up disregarding his feelings. Yeah, you're definitely doing that. I mean, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but you're definitely doing that. How do So I think that this is like an advanced PTDD. This is like... There's like the immediate reflex of PTDD of a right what goes on after a first date. But I feel like this is a whole other stage that I didn't realize. I thought that I could date all those years in my 20s without consequence. I thought just like going after weird experiences or dating these weird characters or like putting myself out there and being hurt. Like I didn't see any of that as having a consequence because I thought I was so tough. And now that I'm in a situation where I want to be vulnerable I just re- I'm realizing how much gunk I've built around my heart. It's like it's like there's like a crust that I'm like trying to chip away at. And it just sucks. Like why did I why didn't I just respect myself all those years? Yeah, no, I I mean that's a fantastic analogy, gunk. Um I actually have described it as scar tissue. Like that is exactly what scar tissue does. When you cut yourself, your body heals and the skin is more durable and tougher than the skin that happened before, like that was coming before, because that's what scars do. That's your body's way of saying, hey, you're vulnerable right here. Like we got to build up some calluses. We need to build up some defense, right? And, you know, women, because of the way that dating works for us, like we throw ourselves into dating years before our male peers seem interested in committing to us. And what happens is you get a lot of ill treatment. And and I think the ill treatment is unequally born. And so I think women sort of build these dating biographies where their hearts are just lacerated. Right. And there's so much car, there's so much scar tissue. I mean, the entire dating process, at least speaking for myself, like I'm, I'm not trying to speak for other people here. The whole dating process for me has been incredibly painful going in both directions. It's been incredibly painful for me to be on the receiving end of rejection. And um, it's been incredibly painful for me to have to give rejection because I don't like living in a culture where everybody's validation hinges on romance and romantic validation, right? Like I don't like living in a culture where my romantic rejection of somebody is tantamount to, to could be tantamount to really hurting them that way. If I'm saying, I don't feel like we're compatible, compatible, it goes back to this. Oh my God, I'm swiping, you know, left on everything this person is. And he might be destroyed by that. And I don't like that. I mean, that hurts me. It hurts me. I know that sounds like, you know, fruity, like kumbaya logic, but it, it definitely hurts me. I don't like having to make men feel that way. I I don't. I mean, the point is I really try not to go out with guys with whom an online dating profile doesn't reveal a strong indication that there's someone that I really could be compatible with. Like, again, I don't date flippantly. I don't, I don't make dating a hobby. I don't go out and date guys that I probably have no possible future with whatsoever because I need to fill up my calendar. I think that's really dumb. And I I really think this numbers game, like advice that a lot of dating gurus give is really dumb because it does just create this sort of like use as many people as you can until you need to, so you can stop using people. Because that just creates this whole condition where everybody's hearts are getting lacerated left and right. And it's just, I, I hate that. And, and, and you're right. Like we're coming at this being damn no 30, right? 
and we have years of dating experience at this point of just having our hearts thrown against walls and stepped on and our hearts are tough now. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like cutesy and vulnerable about our hearts anymore. Like it's really difficult for me to not be cynical and on guard all the time when it comes to love. Like it would, it takes a battering ram to get into my heart right now. This is something I've been wanting to ask you is like, should we date before we know our own value? Like, should we no. date before we like ourselves? No, I think not. I really don't. I, 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 I say that retrospectively as if I wouldn't have totally taken up a guy I liked when I was 25. No, I mean, I'm just, what I'm saying is that, like, I, at 29, am only starting to get comfortable with who I am. And I think that there are some people whose potential for growth are just so high that it's going to take them a lot more time to become comfortable with who they are because they don't know who they are yet. And what I mean by that is that I, I, the best, coolest, awesomest people that I've ever met did not start even doing what it is they became awesome and cool and wonderful for doing until their 30s. And, you know, I talk to a lot of older people in their 50s and 60s now because I live in a, you know, I live in the suburbs. Everybody I know is way over the hill. Um, and they all say the same thing. They're all like, my 20s sucked. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. I just assumed things about myself. I thought I was on the right track. I was, you know, it turned out to be I was in the wrong relationship. I was in the wrong career. I was going the wrong way. And I thought I knew everything. And I just, you know, I doubled down on everything that was wrong because I thought I had to. And I never gave myself that time to fail. I never gave myself that time to flail. I never gave that time. You know what I mean? And so I... I think I did it. I think I gave myself a lot of time and I'm still giving myself time. I give myself permission. I give myself ample permission to fail at this point, um, which I never did. Cause you know, I'm coming at this being perfectionist valedictorian top of my class by beta cap of perfection, blah, blah, blah. And I uh, like, it took me to like 28, 27, 28 to be like, you know what, Holly, it's okay to fail. You want to fail a little bit? Go ahead. Like you, you earned it. Um, but, you know, that's the space where I really started realizing, like... And also, I'm, we I'm, might be a little set up to fail in terms of, like, the current dynamics around dating. Like, I think I think we will fail because of how the game's rigged right now. Well, no, failing for us is exactly what I did, which was not dating at all. Oh. <laughs> right? It's a, well, oh, I'm single. Oh, God, I haven't had sex in over a year. Ah! Like... <laughs> Who who cares? And and that's when you really get to know yourself is when you realize that that value system isn't your value system. Like, oh, I haven't had a relationship in over a year. Who cares? You've been like, working on you. Yeah. Like, yeah, who cares? Oh, other people care. I mean, you know what other people care about? Capitalism. You know who hates capitalism? Me. Like, <laughs> there's, like, so many different things. I could say, like, why do I care about what other people think here? Like, I'm a pretty loudmouth critic of most things why would i care about this thing why do i think this reflects poorly on me what's your advice to women who are feeling like broken down by the whole process like who are just feeling like really down and hopeless like how do we restore our value you gotta stop dating first one you gotta stop dating because if you already feel broken down and you already feel like you're low value uh the wrong guy is gonna pick up on that 
and he is going to take advantage of it. You're sending out this energy out there that you do think you're low value and that any guy will do. And that's setting you up for a really crappy relationship because you're going to respond really positively to the first guy who shows excitement in you. But you guys don't realize that the first thing he might be showing excitement in is the fact that you don't value yourself. That could be what he's responding to. In fact, I've had that happen to me when I dated in a low place, right? Like guys were responding to the fact that I didn't have much confidence in myself and that I was really insecure and that all I wanted was a guy's validation. That makes the wrong guy very excited. Like, oh, she's very dependent on my validation. Oh, she wants me to tell her she's pretty and that that's something she can use, you know. Yeah, I don't want to set myself up to be controlled by anyone. So if I I have those kind of, like, if my house is unlocked, I'm not letting you in. (laughs) Like, not inviting you over. Uh, Also, I I find, like, I get a lot of strength from other women and, like, talking honestly about the ways that I feel like I'm flawed. Because there's just something amazing about hearing that other people also don't feel like they have it together. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You You have to find some people who are honest with you. And you need to not reach out to the people who are putting up a front. And what I mean by that is don't don't reach out to your friend who just keeps getting promoted at work every six months and just doesn't seem to have a problem in the world and is really happy with her boyfriend. And every weekend they go apple picking regardless of the season. Hate apple um, picking. I hate it. <laughs> well, I love I love apple picking. OK, but, you know. Enough but like, is enough. But the orchard kiss, the we just pick this apple together. It's a very inefficient way to get fruit or deliver fruit to our homes. And now we're going to kiss about it. Ew. Ew. I, I, there's just so many tropes. There's so many like new couple tropes. Adam and Eve, the newest couple there ever was. Like They went orchard picking. Like, yeah, they did. They did. Snake got in the way. The snake got in the way. But they took a picture of the snake on Instagram, so it actually looked really cute until God smited them. A lot of likes. A lot of likes. Until God smited them. But go on. Go on. More advice? Do not date. Um, take a vow of celibacy. Like, if you if you can, take a vow of celibacy. Seriously. I, I'm just so sick. I, I think it's really funny. I hear women who, who think they're really empowered, that they can do the casual sex thing, and only realize later that they can't. And I'm not trying to say that you can't have casual sex. I have to disagree with you, though, because I think, like, like, there's a lot of, like, health and joy and creativity tied up in, in sex for me that, like, I, I almost would, I would suffer without it. But I think no, you I, have to I, know the exchange that you're making for it or be yeah, prepared no. to do it. That's what I mean, is that you need to know that, like, a lot of women go into it and they say, I'm cool with this, I'm cool with this, I'm cool with this until they're not. The problem is, I I think this is the problem. The problem is that you can't control when you fall in love with somebody. And so you're dabbling in black magic when you do that. Your heart's down there is what I like to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, my best friend, one of my best friends, she has this theory. Again, I mean, this is not my theory, but I like it only because of maybe the cultural themes it's suggesting but that women women absorb because the the vagina is very absorbent they absorb men's emotional pain and it relieves men of that burden to have sex with a woman but women 
don't know where the pain's coming from when they have a sex with an, a very um, hurt man. They carry on his pain for him. And he is relieved of it, but she takes it on. And that's her theory. Like, she really believes that. And so she has this, like, policy of not sleeping with men who she perceives as hurt for that reason. Like, if she feels like they're being hurt for any reason or they feel like they're, she, they're carrying some unresolved pain, that she will, by connection with him, sexual connection with him, absorb that pain. So she tries to find partners, sex partners, um, who are going to um, share with her joy through sex, who are going to um, share with her positive feelings and light through sex, because again, it goes both ways. It can be, you can absorb positive emotions or you can absorb negative emotions. And so she's been exploring this idea and she's getting pretty, she's pretty, she's getting into tantric stuff, like awesome, cool tantrics workshops and stuff like that. And, and so she's carrying this belief with her as she studies it more. And I, I don't know. I think there's something to be said of finding a partner who's who with whom having sex is a really positive experience and they leave you feeling like it's a positive experience and guys who really are taking and um, and you leave the sexual experience feeling drained like you gave up something. And I think there's something to be said about that. I definitely think that you can have really positive, casual sexual experiences with someone who trusts you and someone with whom you trust and someone who uh, you feel like really has your best interest at heart and isn't using you for sex. Um, and I feel like you could go the other way is that you could fall into a trap of developing feelings for a guy who is really only using you for sex. So you've got to be really mindful and aware of who you're having casual sex with. I think that is important. I think it's really important. And I, and I also don't like the culture of disposability that we use to talk about casual sex. Like I don't even like the word casual because it just implies this sort of like single serving packaging of sex that I think dehumanizes people and, and it allows us to treat people like objects and I don't like that, and I don't really know how to get around that, but I really don't, I don't endorse any culture or any code that dehumanizes people on the basis of anything, especially anything that I think is intrinsically as human as sex. Holly, you are a genius, and this has been such a helpful conversation. It's insane. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my right. Thanks, Andrea. And that's it for today's show. I'd help for my intern, Aaron in Hopkins, Minnesota. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, just a quick note for any new listeners. I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm not paid to do this. This is a hobby. This is a creative outlet. It's like reading my blog or my diary. It's not public radio. It's not NPR. Just wanted to say that. I don't know if I've said it in a while. Um, please send me all your feedback at Andreas Lindsay on Twitter or AndreasLindsay at gmail.com. And please stay tuned for Infinite Distortion with Bosch. It's WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, and online, WFMU.org. <laughs>